Mark chapter 2. I'm going to take it down to verse 13 and read from verse 13 to verse 17. Grass withers and flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's begin verse 13. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose, and he followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. The scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but to call sinners. Join me as we pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would make it an effective, effectual call. That your grace would be irresistible. God, thank you for the students that have worshipped Friday and Saturday, for the volunteers that have poured in. I pray the call will be effective. God, I pray that as we open your word and I go to preach, that I would say that which is only a direct reflection of what your word says, that I would stay in bounds of the scripture, that Christ will be honored. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. The old song says, you've never had a friend like Jesus friend who knows you thoroughly, who loves you completely, who receives you gladly. All of us here, we have friends and acquaintances of all kinds. There are some people, you know, when they call or when they text you and you see their name pop up on your phone, that there's immediately a gladness. You're glad to hear from that person. You look forward to reading that text or you're Really glad to talk on the phone to them because you know that there is something encouraging or you just really enjoy being with that person. There are other people, however, when their names pop up on your phone, your eyes roll back in your head as far as you can get them to go. You never had a friend like Jesus. A friend like Jesus, whose affection is so strong, whose love is so real, whose purpose for your life is so clear. You never had a friend that shows up in your presence and you rejoice every time. This friend, you see, saw you at your worst, dug you out of the hole, called you for his own, and a whole lot of you, God is using you for his own glory. Jesus, the friend of sinners, the Savior of souls. Jesus, the one who did what we should have done, 
We were supposed to be in fellowship with God and live close to God. He did what we should have done and then took the punishment that we actually deserve. Why? So that you can be forgiven. So that I can be forgiven. So that you can be reconciled to God. Now, I came out pretty strong this morning because this story is so beautiful. The story in front of us is filled with gospel. It's filled with love. If you've ever wondered, if you've ever wondered if you were good enough to be a Christian, if you've ever wondered if you were really forgiven, or if you've ever wondered if you had the residual of guilt, maybe you really did believe that your sins are forgiven, but there's this residual, this, this guilt that lingers back there. Have you ever wondered if you actually were really made right with God? And this morning, when we go to this text, I want you to drink in this story. It's filled with light and, and, and hope and joy and forgiveness. I love this story because it points to the joyful Jesus who's in stark relief, who's in stark contrast to the dead religion. We don't want dead religion. Stark contrast to the dead religion of his day. This story reminds me of the pure power of God to save people and to use people just like you and me. So take heart. Turn to Jesus because Jesus is the true friend of sinners. If that's the case, if Jesus is the true friend of sinners, what do we learn from this passage? Let's go there find out what are the things that we are to do in light of the fact that Jesus is the true friend of sinners. Here's the first one, number one. We are to yield to the gravity of Jesus. Yield. There's a pull. There's a genuine pull. Jesus is the powerful force. That powerful force pulls people. We are to yield. Join me there in verse 13. Let's go to the story. Jesus is on the move. The text says in verse 13, he went out again. He's always going out again. That's what he does. He goes out. He seeks and saves the lost. Again and again, over and over, Jesus goes out. Jesus goes to the hurt and the depressed and the, the abused. Jesus goes where the people are. And when he goes where people are, People are drawn. You see in verse 13, the people are coming. The text says, he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd there coming to him. He goes out, people come. When the true Jesus is present, when the, when the unveiled Jesus is present, let us never be a church that puts blocks in the way, that makes people stumble on the way to Jesus. When the true Jesus is shown, people come to him. All too often there are hurdles there. We make regulations. We make requirements in order to actually get to Jesus. And Jesus just shows up. The unfettered Jesus draws people to himself. You see, his love and his gravity, his mercy, his forgiveness, his service. Let us not forget, what does the Bible say? It's the, it's the kindness of God that draws us to repentance. Jesus, the friend of sinners, let's be careful how we use that. Oftentimes you'll say and hear people talk about Jesus 
prefer to be around sinners, or maybe you hear Christians say, I'd rather hang out with lost people. We want to be careful walking that line because Jesus is the friend of sinners, but Jesus never sanctions sin. He removes sin. He never condones sin. He crucified sin. You see, the pure gospel of God found in Jesus, the pure gospel of God found in Jesus does indeed take the wrath of God seriously. We understand that people are born in sin under the condemnation of God. We are not born neutral. We are born already sinners, and it's an act of grace. The pure gospel of God takes the wrath of God seriously, but we also take the mercy of God wholeheartedly. So that's why we go to the cross. We point people to the cross. Why do we do that? Because at the cross, the wrath of God meets the mercy of God and the person of Jesus and the love of God is given to anyone who will believe. We go to the cross because there at the cross of Jesus, hope and healing and future, joy are founds in the wounds of Jesus. We point people to the cross of Jesus where healing flows from the wounds of Jesus. What did Jesus himself say? John chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus said, and if I am lifted up, he's talking about the crucifixion, if I am lifted up, I will draw people to myself. Not too long ago, a phenomenon happened in the United States called the Super Bowl. Super Bowl Sunday. Super Bowl Sunday is a big day for the United States of America. People gather with families and friends, watch a game that's fairly inconsequential. Oftentimes there is a halftime show that people rave about or hate one or the other. What they really like is the commercials. This last year there was a commercial that came through sponsored, I think, with good intent. I think with good intent. I think the will and desire is right to reintroduce Jesus. The campaign is, he gets us. And the press is to say that Jesus understands, and yes, he does. That's an entryway truth, but that's not where we stop. You see, in this passage, we just get a taste of the truth to come. The truth to come where Jesus is, people will follow him. Let me pause and say maybe you need to come to Jesus to be reconciled to God, to put your faith in Jesus, the one who is the friend of sinners. There is such gravity when Jesus is near. You read it there in verse 13. We find out that people are following him. I guess it's some sort of ambulatory teaching. He's walking and teaching. People are with him. He's by the sea. And what does Jesus teach? Well, we know from past experience, Jesus teaches primarily three things. He teaches the word repentance. The very first word of the gospel is repentance. It's not coming out of some Baptist preacher's mouth. That is what Jesus taught, to turn away from who you were and turn to. We're going to see that in Levi. He teaches not only repentance. The second thing he teaches is the scripture. On the road to Emmaus, after the resurrection, he walked with the disciples, opened up the Bible, and said, this is about me. Not just repentance in the scripture. Jesus, Jesus preached the kingdom that the kingdom of God is found in one person, Christ. Look, you and I, we can't let anything get in the way of Jesus. Been in church a long time and talked with several people that have been hurt in church. There are people, many of you, hurt in church. 
I don't know why the license shows up, why people will say or act a certain way in church, why people would be mean in church, be off-putting in church. There are people that have quit coming to church because their feelings got hurt in some capacity and by a legitimate affront. It is a terrible thing. We need to make sure that we do everything we can to keep that from happening. We don't put hurdles up. We knock hurdles down. Maybe you've had your feelings hurt. I would just say, don't let that keep you from Christ, from the body of Christ, from the congregation. We can't let a style, a style. Oftentimes I've heard people leave a church or go to a church because of the style of music. The music is important. It helps us sing songs of the faith to get us ready to open the book. Don't go to a church or leave a church because of the style or because the preacher wears a tie or doesn't wear a tie. You don't know why I wear a suit? Let me tell you why I wear a suit. There are several reasons. One, the biggest reason is I'm terrible with fashion. You know how easy this is right here? I put this on and a blue shirt and something in the middle. I'm done. As soon as I try to, as soon as I try, when you're a 54-year-old man, you can make one of two mistakes. You can dress like you're 30 and everybody thinks you're foolish. Or you cannot and everybody thinks you're foolish. So just put on the suit. You can't let style be something that either attracts or offends. What we understand is that when Jesus shows up, there's a certain gravity. And that pull of the Holy Spirit brings you into real and vibrant fellowship with God and with his people. I, I want you to yield to the gravity of Jesus. There's something else, though, in verse 14. It gets really good. Verse 14, there's the grace of Jesus. Here's the second point. Let's rejoice in the grace of Jesus. Let's rejoice. We have lots to rejoice about. Let me show it to you in verse 14. Here the story takes a beautiful turn. It's an unexpected turn. Let's read it and then marvel at the grace of Jesus in verse 14. Join me there. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And followed him. Now let's just walk through verse 14 and look at the grace. Let's talk first about Levi. From the other Gospels, we know that this is actually Matthew. We also know from this one right here and the other parts that Levi is whose name is Matthew, he is a tax gatherer, he's a tax collector, he sits at his toll booth, you catch a fish, you got to pay a tax on that fish. He sits there conducting his business. Now it's probably helpful that we spend a little bit of time talking about the chosen occupation of this otherwise well-named man, Levi. By the way, his name Levi is a strong Jewish name, it gives evidence of his heritage. He is a proud people that reaches all the way back to the tribe of Levi. The Levites were those that were supposed to make God's people close to God. Not this guy. He's a tax collector. Tax collector is considered to be a traitor to his own people. The Roman government has overrun that part of the world. And if you're the conqueror, you have people pay you as the conqueror tribute. You can't do it all alone, though, if you're the Roman government. 
You have to have people over it. Herod is over. He's employed by Rome. Herod then sells the franchise to certain people so that they can set up their franchise and pay a percentage and they can get as much money as they want. He's an extortionist. He's, he's a well-paid, dressed-up thief. Like the Vichy, if you know World War II history, when Germany invaded France and overran France, there was the free French that fought them. The free French kept on fighting the Germans, the Nazis, but there's something called the Vichy French that capitulated to the Nazis. They remained French. They just did whatever the Nazis wanted them to do. This, this man is Jewish, but he's a traitor to his people. He sold his soul to Rome. He's rich, but he's hated. Gave up his soul to have money. Tax collector didn't just have a little bit of money. He just not, he's not just uh, a little bit of upper crust. He is rolling in money. And oftentimes, if you're rolling in money, you're living in sin. He's living in sin, has the best wine, has the finest foods, has a, a profligate life. Tax collectors, they weren't allowed in the synagogue. They couldn't go and worship God. They were so bad that the rules of the day, if you were Jewish, if you were Jewish, you had to follow the Ten Commandments, but you had a little caveat. You could lie to the tax collector. Since the tax collector couldn't worship God, he had filled his life with stuff and sex and riches. And verse 14 is a scandal. Jesus walks by Levi, who had obviously either heard Jesus or heard of Jesus, and Jesus says to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Of all the people in that Galilean village that day that could have been saved, Levi was the very last one. And to think that this man Levi, whose name is Matthew, would follow Jesus three years, and then after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus would write it down. He would take the stories, write them down in the gospel of Matthew that we would have up to this very day is astounding. As Paul's here, let me just say, you can never, you can never give up. You can never stop praying. You can never stop inviting. You can never stop calling. You can never stop loving the person that you think is so lost. If Jesus will save Levi, then there's always hope. A couple of things we can learn about becoming a Christian or at least about conversion from this story. Just three things I'll point out. There are more, but let me just give you three things in this brief account about conversion. Here's the first one. Number one, there is power in the gospel of God. There is power in the call of God. There's power there. The way the gospel works is that Jesus creates what he commands. The call of Jesus is a sovereign call. You felt it. You made aware of your sin. You turned and put your faith in Christ. Levi, you see, had everything he ever wanted in life, except that day he was made aware that he had a great big hole right in his heart, and Jesus filled it. The way Luke tells the story in Luke chapter 5, Verse 28, he tells us that Levi, he gives us a little more detail. Everybody gives a little more detail than Mark. gives a little more detail. 
He tells us that Levi got up, he left everything, and he followed Jesus. It was a decisive act. He was burning the ships. Julius Caesar was ready to invade Rome, one more barrier to cross. If he crosses that barrier, he is illegal, and he can't stop. It's called the Rubicon. He crossed the Rubicon. This is what Levi did. He crossed it. Made a clean and eternal break with the past, with everything back there. Everybody in that little town of Capernaum would have known that Levi is the most unacceptable person to ever be a follower of Jesus. Gave up everything. Left money and friends and promotions and parties. Here is radical discipleship. Here is following Jesus. Something else to learn about this. That is that, the, that there is mercy. There is mercy in conversion. When you're converted, there's mercy. The whole point of Jesus saving Levi is to show that Jesus only saves people that don't deserve it. Sometimes I think we have in our mind uh, that Jesus looked at you, God looked down from heaven and saw your life. He, he saw the great potential that you have and how you could be the great addition to the kingdom and it would be worth it. So he goes after you because he knows there's going to be a return on your life, that you're going to be, have such great potential, he's going to save you. That, that's not how the Bible explains mercy. Mercy and grace is God looking from heaven and sees the foulness of our sin and how we've rebelled and deserved to go to hell. How we stand against his will and his word and his law and his ways. And yet God in nothing but love, nothing but grace reaches down to people that don't deserve it. That's why he saves people like Levi. That's why he saves people like me and you. To show that there is mercy in conversion. The whole point of the cross of Jesus is to show us we deserve punishment but receive love. This is a story of mercy here. There's something else. Verse 14 that tells us about conversion, that is that there is obedience. Obedience is the proof of conversion. When you're called and saved, obedience is immediate. If Levi, after hearing Jesus say, follow me, Levi would have said, yes, Lord, I'll follow you. And stayed put and kept collecting money. That's not obedience. Verse 14 tells us that Levi did a very public and radical thing. He got up by the mercy of God. He came out of his former life and he followed Jesus from that day forward. From that day forward, he would be known as a follower of Jesus who used to be a tax collector. He heard the master's preaching. He had witnessed the miracles. He heard the call of repentance. He heard the promise of a coming kingdom. Now came the definitive invitation, follow me. His response was immediate. It was open for the world to see the power of God transform a despised, a despised tax collector into an apostle and writer of a gospel. It's the picture of remarkable, amazing grace of Jesus. I want you to know that grace. I want you to hear the explicit gospel that God is a holy God who created all of us in his image, you. The image of God in you has been disfigured by sin, separating you from God, so that if you're separated from God, we all deserve condemnation. 
That's the judgment of God, but he's not just a judge. God also loves to the degree that he gave his only son, Jesus, who lived like we should have. He lived in perfect fellowship with God in our place. We couldn't as men and women. He did. And then Jesus takes the punishment we deserve. As a man, he takes all of the punishment that men and women deserve on the cross. That's why the cross is so important for Christianity. There, Jesus takes the wrath of God. And for anyone who believes he did that for you, believe that he did that for you, he gives you the righteousness, covers you with that, so that you become a child of God. I want you to, to respond to the gravity of Jesus. I want you to rejoice in the grace of Jesus. The story gets even better in verse 15. There we find graciousness, so let's use that word, number three. Number three, I want you to imitate the graciousness of Jesus. Look with me at the gracious Lord Jesus in verse 15. Just read it. Verse 15, as he reclined at table in his, Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Stay with me now. Levi is a brand new convert. He has a newfound love for Christ. He's following Jesus. As an act of gratitude, he decides to have a formal banquet for Jesus to show his appreciation to Jesus. He don't have any friends yet that are Christians, so he invites all of his friends. The only people he knows that will talk to him are tax collectors and broad sinners. So he throws a banquet for Jesus, invites them. Jesus comes with his disciples. There's a mixing of disciples and those that are sinners and tax collectors. By, by the way, let me pause here. There's joy in bringing your friends to Jesus. There is joy when you've been transformed and changed and you're the best thing you have and you find a way, even if it's clumsy, if you don't, don't, don't know how to do it, bringing your friends to Jesus. Of course, in verse 16, we find out that the scribes and the Pharisees, they're going to hate it. But Jesus is reclining at table with a great celebration with sinners and tax collectors. Andy Davis is the pastor at First Baptist Church, Durham, North Carolina. He's an MIT graduate. He's a brilliant man. He's memorized almost all of the Bible, the whole Bible. It's amazing to me. He wrote a couple of books. One we have in our bookstore called The Infinite Journey about walking with Christ. It's really something. He, when he looked at this passage, he gave a good illustration when he talks about a physician. What, what is a doctor? What does a doctor do? A doctor goes into a room where patients are sick. A doctor goes into that room where the patients are sick, not because that doctor likes sickness, not because he wants to be around disease, not because he even wants to hang out with those that are sick. The doctor goes into the room where the patient is sick so that that doctor might relieve and cure, and save the patient. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the friend of sinners, but Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Lost people, those without Christ, lost people are not our enemies. They are our mission. I do believe that we are in some sort of culture war 
And there are things that you and I have to stand on and press against and, and ways that we've got to live and rights that we must fight for. But brothers and sisters, don't get so caught up in a culture war that you lose sight of the mission. If you do, it's possible to miss the whole point and the whole goal of Jesus. That goal is down there with me in verse 17. The goal of Jesus. I want you to join the goal of Jesus. Let me read the end. Let's take a look at it. That's where the punchline always is. Verse 16 and 17. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, by the way, this is the first place in the Gospel of Mark where the word disciples is used, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call righteous the righteous, but sinners. The first problem that the scribes and Pharisees had with Jesus was that he claimed to have the power to actually forgive sins. The second problem that they had with Jesus was his attitude toward sinners. Why would Jesus mix with such disreputable company? In verse 17, in verse 17, Verse 17, isn't it glorious? Verse 17, Jesus gives a common sense answer. He takes a saying from the day, a common sense answer, and as he does, he speaks with irony and with truth. What is the irony? Verse 17, Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. For the people that think they are okay, for the people that think they are well, I actually have nothing to say, nothing to offer. I can't meet a need that you won't admit is there. In essence, I can't help those that don't think they need it. And, and then he gives us the truth. The truth is always at the bottom, verse 17. The truth. I came not to call the righteous. I came to call sinners. I came not to call the self-righteous that think they're okay. I came to call those that are aware. I have one call, and that is to sinners. This story here is early on in Jesus' ministry in Mark chapter 2. I can't help but wonder that later on, later on in Luke chapter 18, Jesus is telling parables. He tells just a few in Luke. And one of the parables he tells sounds a lot like this story right here. It's in Luke chapter 18, starts in verse 9. Luke tells us that he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated other people with contempt. Here's the parable. And I think it's based on this right here. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, he prayed thus. This is what he prayed. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Extortionist and unjust and adulterers. Or even like this tax collector. 
I fast twice a week. I pay tithes on all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, he was unwilling even to lift up his eyes to heaven, but he's beating his breast, and this is what he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus steps back and says, now I'll tell you, this man, that tax collector, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Ask him, ask God. Ask God to show you the depth of your sin. Ask God to show you the sickness. Ask God to show you the heart of pride. Ask God to show you the selfish, way, selfish ways. Ask God to show you lustful tendencies. Ask God to show that to you and then cry out to Jesus and he'll save you. It's Jesus. He's the, he's the true friend of sinners. You come to him today. Come to this one who will receive you, save you, forgive you in Jesus. Do you join me as we pray together with your heads bowed this morning? As we go to the Lord in a moment of prayer, we're going to sing one more song. This song is a song of worship, but it's also a song of invitation. Hear Jesus call out for you to follow him. Will you follow him? Will you do like Levi and get up and leave it all behind and come and follow Jesus? Putting your faith in the one who died for you, whom God raised from the dead, the one who will forgive you of your sins, the one who will use you for his glory. This morning as we sing, I'll invite any of you that want to give your life to Jesus. If you'd like to talk about that with the pastor, our pastors are down front. You come right down here where they are. Let's pray it through. Ask God to help you and save you. There are others of you you'd like a pastor to pray with you or to pray for you. Maybe you just want to come and pray. You have someone that you were reminded of today. Or maybe you have felt so far from God and finally today you heard this story and it reminds you. You want to give thanks to God. Maybe you want to join our church today or start the process of being a member of Hickory Grove. God has spoken to your heart this morning through his word. When we sing, we would invite you to come forward. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus and give you thanks. Thank you for the grace that you've given us in Christ for the joy of serving. And I pray by the power of God that you would call people to yourself today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.